All right, guys, you're very welcome along to episode 31 of my podcast. This is Shane, and this is Heartlines. Now, again, I have a very special guest here. He's the owner of the Echo newspaper here in Tala. He's also Mr. Tala himself. His name is David Kennedy. How are you doing, David? Shane, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. I know you from social circles here in Tala. You're a very, you're a very popular man, and you're really part of the fabric of the community. But tell the listeners a bit about yourself growing up here in Tala. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I was born in uh, 1951, so not afraid to say how old I am, almost 70 at this stage. Okay. Um, I was born in, in uh, Colbert's Fort, which is just off the Belgard Road in Tala here. And uh, I lived there for about two years with my mum and dad. It was her parents' house, and we lived in a single room there uh, for about two years when we got a council house down in Mount Carmel Park in Fourhouse. So that's where I spent uh, most of my youth, as it were, growing up. Uh, going to school down there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, I'm from Tala. My parents are from Tala. My father is from the Crumb District. You know, so we're, we're from all around. And uh, uh, I went to school at Sing Street. I was in uh, the primary school in Furhouse. Uh, obviously, the usual things, and went there. And it's interesting about the primary school in Furhouse was at that time it was actually a mixed school, which was rather strange. That didn't make much difference to me in the end. I'm not sure, but uh, I went from there. I went to Sing Street uh, Secondary School. Then after that. It was probably the the only school. It was it seemed like a long way away, you know, when you think think about going to school in Sing Street, and because you know in Tallinn now you've got all the communities, colleges all around the place, and everywhere is quite close to where you live. But we didn't have one in those days, and the nearest was Ternier College, which we couldn't afford. So uh, the next step was Sing Street, which I got into uh, in uh, started there in nineteen sixty two. Now, as you were going through school, secondary school. Did you always have an interest in kind of, um, you know, people and where you have like inquisitive nature, like is that, that brought you into this where you are today? Like, Sure. I, I, I was always curious. There's a, no question about that. Always yeah. curious. And I think I always maintained I had the best of both worlds live, going to school in the city. Uh, we had an hour and three quarter lunchtime believe it or not, because that was to allow guys like me to go home at lunchtime and come back. But I didn't do that. I still didn't have enough time to do that. So we stayed in town for lunch. And I was a good good few guys from around went to Sing Street from Tala at that time. We'd spend our lunch times on Stephen's Green, all that type of stuff were in the city. And then in the evening times, came home. And at the weekends, I had the countryside. It was just, to me, idyllic in that sense, because we spent most of our youth, as it were, on the Dodder River, swimming and fishing and that type of thing. And then in school, in the, during the daytime, I had the city city life to, to look forward to. But uh, yeah, I was always curious. Uh, I wouldn't count myself as a people person in the, in that in that in the, in, in the, sen- the sense of the word of being sort of an affable, well met, got slap of the back guy. I'm not that type of individual. But uh, so I'm certainly uh, a curious guy. I was one of the one of those kids that didn't fall asleep in the car. I was always looking out the window, uh, always on the train, looking out the windows, watching what was going on, looking at what was going on. So yeah, curiosity was the, was the, was the big part what was Tala like when you were growing up I'm, I'm sure it wasn't as developed as it is today like Tala has turned into such a like a an urban sprawl really you know sure yeah it's a it's a like oh, okay I've lived through the, the development and I've written the poetry about the disappearing green fields at the time mm. you know and it it, it was if like at the time obviously it was a small place but it was a beautiful place to grow up and as I said I had the the beauty of swimming and fishing on the dollar all that type of thing now, it's still there and, and I'm sure kids still enjoy it, but uh, there wasn't that whole uh, invasion. There wasn't that whole population thing. And everybody knew everybody, basically. So you, it was just part of you know, your mom and dad allowed you up the river mm. fishing till 10, 11 o'clock at night. You know, 
wouldn't happen today, but the fact that there was a small place and everyone knew each other. Then in the, in the late 60s uh, into the 70s, the whole development started. And in a strange way, um, okay, the problem with Tala in its development phase was that the vast swathe of land was owned by Dublin Corporation. And that presented its own problems because they were solving their inner city housing problem by shifting the population out to Tala, uh, all of the swathes. And if, if, if you look at maps of the time, it was essentially broken down into five different segments. Uh, there was the middle section where the Garda station was the first thing that evolved in that part. But around that, you had five different housing areas of around 2,000 houses, each each of them. And that's where the whole population came to. The, the corpo were able to shift a lot of people out to West Tala, Glenard uh, and Jobson, all that area there was populated by people from the inner city. And then you had the private estates like Old Bond, Kildaman and those, which... Uh, people from the Crumlin Valley Farmer District came to live there. And because of the fact that the Corpo were the main landowners and they shifted their people out to live here, they sort of washed their hands of the of the of the, the responsibility of providing facilities, etc. So people didn't have that facility. The issue was give them a house and they gave them a house and, and people were out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, with uh, no no connections, no buses, no shopping, etc. It was all evolved since then. But at that time it was pretty uh, pretty stark, you know. Um, well, I have to say, in 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 our early days of of doing analysis of looking at different areas within the newspaper, it's very difficult to find people even to find something bad about it, even though they were living in with in those conditions. They just felt it was great being out in the open air, out in near the hills, all that type of thing. And there was a great community spirit around at the time as well, because from that evolution of time, where there wasn't that responsibility taken on by the corporation. People themselves took on that responsibility, and you have the emergence of different organisations. Uh, community centres were built, uh, residents associations evolved, telecommunity council evolved. All that thing, all that type of activity was there, and that was pure. That was people themselves taking responsibility for what they had to do, which was which meant it was a great thing for Tala, I have to say. Uh, because one of the things that I found that we found in Tala was that it evolved as a unit. Yeah, there, was, there was never really an us and them in Tala. You know, I can look at the difference, say, and in, in deference to those from Clondalkin who might be listening, there was certainly an us and them in Clondalkin because there's parts of Clondalkin would, would prefer that the, the canal was about a mile wide, you know, and that they didn't have to deal with the other half, whereas that never really evolved in Tala, you know. Yeah. Now, what was opportunity like uh, for work around the time when you s- start setting up the Echo newspaper? Not good, I have to say. Um, setting up the newspaper was, it wasn't a commercial decision, really. You know, it, it, looking back, it wasn't really. I was always involved in talent in different ways. I, became, I was a youth leader, I was involved in the youth club, ran all the table tennis section, uh, played football with Thomas Davis, as a life member of Thomas Davis, etc. All those things were there. In the evolution of Tala, at that time, I was part of the, the youth group and the youth club and stuff like that. And there was a magazine in Tala called Tala Magazine, which was run by Eddie Brennan. And people may know of Eddie. Eddie's in his 80s now. Great guy. He was running Tala Magazine on his own, but he was a printer himself. And he had been doing it for about seven years. And I had contributed a number of articles to it, mainly around the youth club and what was happening in the youth club, that type of thing. And... Uh, and then in late 79, I attended a seminar in the Priory on community development. And uh, that was in November 79. And the one thing that struck me all the time was that an area like Tala needed a form of communication. People needed to know what was what was happening on one side to the other side. 
And that's how the seed was sown. And I'd known Eddie and uh, Eddie had stopped producing the talent magazine for about a year before that. And I thought it was a terrible loss to the area. So I got together with my brother-in-law, Mervyn Ennis, who was also at that meet, at that uh, seminar, and a friend of mine, Dominic Finnegan, who was in the printing business. And we set up a company to establish, and I had the idea this we were going to produce uh, an, a newspaper. And uh, that's where the, the echo was born from that period. In terms of employment at that time, it certainly was the wrong time. Early 80s, we were heading into recession in the 80s, pretty bad, uh, mid 80s. You had huge, very high unemployment rates in West Halla, in all of Tala, and uh, a really bad uh, scene then, you know. A guy who worked with me sort of referred to it at one stage about sort of um, um, in particular uh, in parts of West Halifax where the unemployment rate could be as high as 50 plus percent. Uh, he, he maintained that it was par partly political in that they were there was sort of ring fenced and people up there, if you, you got your dull money, if someone was short, you lent your money to them and then they got money from somewhere else and they lent it back to you. And it just circulated within that community. But it was pretty rough in terms of job job prospects, you know. But as I say, in the, in the 80s, we did a series of articles around uh, parts of different different parts of Tallahassee. I remember one particularly particular one we did on Killinarden. And we sent the, the journalists out and photographers out to get pictures of people, knock on doors, et cetera, et cetera, just get a feel. We, we had connections to other organizations that were involved, like the Residence Association, community centers. But we needed to get a feel from the people living there, what, what it was like. And we just couldn't find anybody to say it was bad you know it was amazing you know you just couldn't find you get people who were on the doles no no love it out here we i remember talking to one girl myself uh, lived on the edge of knockmore and i think she had five five kids she she grew up in dorset street and where she lived until she moved to tala with the five kids and she couldn't believe that she could open a door let the kids out and they had the green fields beside them so it, it was an amazing phenomenon really that we were out, out there trying to find people to complain or say something, to give us a story, but they couldn't, you know, we couldn't find anyone to say anything negative. But it was, in, from from an employment point of view, pretty bad time. And for me, as a per, personally, at the time when I started the Echo itself, it started in May 1980. I was working in the computer industry at the time. I was a computer program systems analyst. Uh, I was a director of the company, uh, held shares in the company, and uh, you know, it was really well a well paid, good job to be in at the time. But uh, I left that in 1982, 83 to take up the Echo full time. In hindsight, I was never good at making very good commercial decisions because it was a tough time. Now, at the time as well, around 1980, there was Tala Press because I seen an, an archive um, clipping of the Tala Press, yeah. and really that yeah. was like the inception of of the, the change in Tala because I seen a little. Um, I know I'm talking about another, another paper, but I'm just giving an example yeah, sure. of, of uh, the stories. There was a story. There's one story about an eviction happening for for some family in the Tala area. It was also the story about the Aylesbury Shopping Centre behind me here in my local was just being okay. built, you know, or it's being yeah. planned to be built. And also uh, the changing of the names and Millbrook lawns, you know, like the Crescent and the Rise and the Grove. So this is like well before my time. I was born in 84. And okay. like th then as the years went on, the Echo was the main, like uh, biggest newspaper in Tala and, and the surrounding areas. And you, you've, you've chronicled all those kind of times that must be, uh, you, you must look back in uh, in awe of all those stories you've covered. And, and there must be stories like in your 40 years that, that stand out. Any stories that stand out for you in your 40 years in the Echo? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the problem, the ones that stand out are the ones we couldn't publish, you know. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, they, in a way they are. Uh, they, they're the ones you remember most because you couldn't publish them meant 
gee, they were good stories, you know, yeah. in, a, in a strange, perverse type of way. Yeah, get, getting back to Tana Press, it's interesting mm. because uh, I knew Seamus Downer. I know Seamus Downer. Seamus lived in Kilimana and uh, we had decided we were bringing out this monthly paper at the time. So we we had set our time, set our dates, all the type of thing. Then we heard in the grapevine that someone else was thinking of doing the same thing. It's like everything. You, you, you think of an idea, there's always somebody else that's the same idea, mm. unless you're a genius of some sort. But Seamus wanted to bring out a paper and but he, Seamus in his own way wanted to bring out a weekly paper and he had the printing press down in his down in his garage I suppose in Kildamana and uh, he printed on a weekly basis and he came out actually before we did that was fine we weren't we weren't in a race ourselves. We, we had made our decision what we wanted to do. We didn't think, in a way, uh, we had to creep a little bit. We didn't think commercially it was going to be viable on a weekly basis because, bear in mind, Tala, it was sparse of any commercial development. You know, there was nothing there. The square had been talked about since 1976 and still wasn't there. There was nothing there commercially to keep uh, newspapers alive. In my previous life as a computer programmer, uh, I had developed software for the newspaper industry as it happened and um, i had installed software and systems into various provincial newspapers but you could see that the the, the the i suppose the lifeblood of local and provincial newspapers was advertising revenues and they just weren't there in talent there was nothing there in terms of commercial activity so it was very difficult to see how a weekly basis you you could manage to to sustain yourself and as it happened i mean Seamus didn't sustain himself on a weekly basis and we came out on monthly eventually became weekly ourselves uh, we went fortnightly in 83 i think it was and uh, we we went back to monthly in the mid 80s and then in, in 89 we went uh, back to fortnightly and in 93 we went out weekly so it was a difficult period of time particularly in the area that we were in that didn't have that commercial backing that any newspaper requires you know yeah you're talking about the the echo um in the 80s and and you were before you joined the echo full-time you were not in that kind of world. Did, did you have any publishing experience or journalist experience before you joined uh, the newspaper? Yeah, I didn't really have any uh, formal uh, experience in that area. Uh, say I'd written a few articles for the Thala magazine at the time. And uh, that was really my only, like the, the, the motivation behind it was, as I said, was to that the area people of, of Tala needed to know what was going on. If the, if the area was to, to evolve properly, and I don't, I don't think, the paper is the the, the the main ingredient of it of an evolving property, but it was part of the evolution. It, people needed to know what was going on, and local papers are driven by conflicts, by issues relating to social issues, and in an area, and that that's what drove us. Uh, and and we wanted to highlight those, we wanted to portray those. We didn't never really want to be too controversial. It was very much a reportage vehicle. We were simply putting out the information about what was going on out there. Uh, so we didn't take a lot of sides, although. Depending on who I met any one week, we, they would claim we were a Fine Gael paper or we're a Fine Fáil paper or we're a Labour paper. Whoever we met, if they weren't happy with what they were getting, they called us the other side. So I suppose it, the experience I had was just that, that little bit that I knew of it, but it wasn't really that, that wasn't what was driving me. I mean, at the time when we started, we had various contributors from all over Tala who were giving us their various inputs for free. Uh, we didn't really have journalists as such, but we had columnists and guys who, who gave us pieces and, uh, and their, their time, and it was all for free. Uh, nobody's actually paid until I think it was 1982 when we started paying somebody. Yeah. And uh, our, our first employee was Joey Cleary, who was our photographer at the time. And uh, it, uh, that it sort of started from there uh, in terms of gradually increasing the number of people who were full-time employed and taking on staff to do the journalism. 
we had a good connection with the College of Commerce in Rathmines uh, through David Rice, who was the director of the college at that time. And we were we were tapping into the to the young journalists from there who were our match reporters at weekends, and if, some of them became our full time reporters, and some of them have gone on to do quite well. Uh, so we became a nursery uh, from from the early eighties uh, for young journalists to come and cut their teeth and you know, learn a lot. And they, they all went off, most of them that I know of anyway, feeling good about their experience and that they got not just to do journalism, but they were involved in the production, they were involved in everything because it was just taking place in one or two rooms, you know, so it was quite a, a good experience for them. Now, you were saying that, like, there was this divide between Tile and Clendalk. And so uh, what year was it when you actually it went from the Tile Echo to the Echo? So you, you now covered sure. Clendalk and Luke and Ballyfermit. What was your reaction to covering all these areas and Tala? Sure. Uh, we, we, we would say we, we have two papers now at the moment. So we have the, okay. the paper that covers the West edition. Uh, at one stage, we had six different papers. We had a Temple Oak edition, we had a Walkinson edition, we had a Clendalk edition. I know what it was essentially was your front page and a few other pages inside and stuff like that. You know, the reaction wasn't quite the same as it was in Tala, but it was it, we didn't get a real negative, a very negative reaction. Uh, but it emerged, I mean, it, the way I see Tala, I mentioned earlier on about how it evolved in the big units, the big housing units and stuff like that. You had people from the inner city and then you had people in, say, Kilnamana, Old Bond. They came from the surrounding communities. I call it a cross-fertilization between Tala and everywhere else in the country, I'd say, at this stage. <laughs> everyone, everyone in any part of the country has a relation living in Tala. So you could say the same thing for say, Crumlin, Drimna, Wabonstown, all that area, the sons of the mothers and the, and the mams and dads down there at the time are now mams and dads living in, in Tala. So there was that, that cross-fertilisation. We, we, we keep, I keep slagging the journalists. They need to give me a story that has a, a Tala mother, a valley farm with father, and a, and a Clendalk and granny. And we'll, we'll intertwine the whole lot into the story, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, and, but it's there, you know, it is there. And then uh, news and stories they tend to be, if a good story carries anywhere, it doesn't really matter where you're from. People are always interested in a good story. But it did have, I remember on one occasion going down to Clondalk and we were doing, the, we used to do deliveries ourselves and trying to establish to some of the shops down there, um, you know, the distribution network. Uh, this is in the early 90s. And I remember a shop, one shop in Clondalk and said, I don't know, are there stories in there about the square and tell If there are, I don't want it. <laughs> he, he just saw the whole evolution of the square and that shopping center is going to take away a lot of his business you know so he was he wasn't very happy but uh other than that we've had no real i well, we did have one guy tore a copy up in the, when we were launching the clock and echo we were, we were in the in the green Isle hotel and he came over i don't know who he was but he, he got a copy of it and he tore it up and threw it on the floor because they they didn't really they they were they were the clock people where the area was sort of the green-eyed monster because everything was happening in town you know mm. we were getting the square council officer coming here oh the hospital was going to be built here all that type of stuff was happening up there so they were the green-eyed monster down on the other side of the road saying there's nothing you know it's all that we're, they were jealous of what was happening up here so you can understand a little bit of animosity towards us but uh, we don't experience that at the moment anyway. in a way tala like it's a great community but like it just has i love tala i'm very proud of tala but when you say you're from tala to someone from the countryside they Kind of take a step back and go, oh, you're from Tala, you know, there's, yeah, there's, sure. there's, there's this energy. I, I don't get it. I don't get why, why that is, you know. I think it, it's, uh, well, 
if you go back to the time you were talking about the air, the 80s and the 90s when there was nothing around, you know, yeah. even the evolution of the square. And like, uh, I could never understand the Evening Herald uh, because they, they had a tele edition at one stage, but it was the newspaper in my mind that sort of always bit the hand and fed it. You know, it never really was very helpful to any community. They were always critical and the stories they ran. And I could see them when the square opening, they, they really wanted to go out and get some negative stories. How many cups were broken in the first week? You know, that was like the crap that they were trying to get as, as news to, yeah. to, 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 keep, to fill the pages. And they, they didn't see and didn't, weren't interested in seeing what else was going on. They were only interested in the negative, you know. So the negative story got out there and was pretty rough. Now, as it happened, I remember uh, my wife wrote a few uh, letters to the papers in relation to some of the stuff that was printed about the area and at one stage we we got so tired of it all that some of the negative stuff that at one stage we had come to a point whereby we decided we're big enough to take it it's out there you can't do anything about it but we're big enough to take it now let's move on and uh like i we in our in our time down to the years we would have visited various papers around the country you know local visits to see how they were doing, what they were up to, et cetera. And we got some connections with some. I remember being in Waterford and the Waterford News and Star and the guys, they had this, they had this image of Tala. They really had, it was just council houses and nothing else and no jobs, no nothing. There was nothing happening up there at all. And they just didn't understand. And uh, it's only when you live here and you know, and it, it, ha- it is evolving a lot in, in, in that sense. I mean, it, it doesn't have uh, that same negative thing going on anymore. But I remember when the Lewis came to Tala at the time, it's not that long ago now, well, it's, it's a good bit now, but um, I was on the first Lewis tram coming out of the city as you would be, got the invitations, et cetera, and so on. And uh, there was an article in the Irish Times uh, by, I can't remember the girl's name, who wrote the article about her trip on the Lewis, you know. And uh, all she could see, you see, you see, there's a bias there. She All she was looking for was a negative. She could see the graffiti, graffiti on the wall. She could see all the other things that were there. But I was looking at the mountains when I came out. You know, it's a fantastic view of the mountains, you know, traveling on the Lewis. And I, I, I remember writing a counter article in the Echo itself about criticizing what she had to say about her and was she on the same Lewis line that I was on when I came to Salah? And it was come, people, they come with that bias. The journalists that come out here to cover events come with that bias. And that bias shows true when they write their, their articles. So they don't see it in the same way as we do, you know. Yeah, now Tala is growing. Like even for example, I went, I went to I studied marketing in Tala uh, IT at the time, and now it's grown. There's like it's such a bigger, it's such a big uh, campus compared to what was when I graduated like twelve years ago. You know, so Tala is sure. growing and the reputation yeah. is growing as well. That, that that growth is very much down to the people and to what happened in terms of residents association and community groups, etc. Clamoring for what they what they wanted and making their voice heard. Lots of things have evolved in Tala that have been exported to other parts of the world as examples of what should happen in terms of employment, how you go about doing it and all that type of thing. And there's a number of, uh, of organizations here have done that that nobody really knows much about, but they're out there all the time. Uh, a great example, and it's it's hard to grasp the value of the local newspaper, except when things, and th- there's a tangible value there that most people don't see. And one of the examples I give of the tangible value to it and how its effect on the on the evolution of an area like this is, a, is when the Tala Hospital Action Group started up. Uh, they were in touch with us and we did a piece on them and we gave them an actual free ad. They had a, a public meeting in, in uh, Kilimana, St. Kevin's School, Kilimana, a seven by two column, free ad, public meeting, come to the meeting, blah, 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 Tala Hospital Action Group. 
we want the hospital built in Tala. And there was a lot of political stuff going on about where the hospital was going to go. It was going to go to Blanchetown. Uh, other parts wanted the hospital, as you would, because it's a huge driver of the economy. Yeah. So this started, and as it happened on the night in question, there were 240 to 250 people attended this public meeting in Kildamana. And that started the whole Tala Hospital Action Group. And even the hospital, people in the hospital themselves will admit and the hospital action group have often said it, and politicians have often said it, but for the Tala Hospital Action Group, Tala Hospital would not have been built in Tala. So that's how the, it's an intangible thing to, to show, but it's there, it does have an effect. And uh, that's how, as I say, the, the people of Tala stood up, you had the, the formulation of something like Get Tala Working, which created, and now has three, four enterprise centers in Tala, providing employment, and providing employment at a far cheaper rate than it costs the government itself to provide employment and create employment. And they've exported their expertise around the world. Uh, other organizations evolved from, from it in the same type of way where people, there were good people in Tala who stood up and were counted and did what had to be done. So it evolved in that way. And as I say, at a point in time, you got to a stage where you say, we're big enough, we're grown up. You know, it's nearly a city. Let's get on with it, lads. Move on from here. You know? It is, yeah, isn't there? Is it a city status? Is that not? Um, you can only be a city status if you have a cathedral. Is that? Is that? Is that? Is that? Is that true? I'm not sure exactly the yeah. process, but there is a there is a uh, there is a, a movement on at the moment. It, it it comes and goes a little bit. I know Eamon Maloney was heavily involved in it to create the the city center, the city status for for the area, because there are other things that evolve from that. I'm not sure exactly what they are, but there could be different monies coming for different reasons because you're a city or whatever uh, to develop certain things. But it's. Um, it's still on the on the agenda, but uh, I'm not sure. It depends on who drives that one, you know. Yeah, and you were asking me earlier earlier on, well, before we, we jumped on this conversation, you were saying, "Who are you?" And I'll, I'll tell you who I am, David. I used to actually sell. I used, I used to actually sell your newspaper back in. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. All, all my family have kind of sold the newspaper um, in my local area in Aylesbury. So I, I used to love selling the newspaper around this time of the year, especially we get big tips coming right, in. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just, uh, just being able to, you know, connect with my local community as well, because I was a paper boy and I get to talk to people and, and, and deliver those stories on a weekly basis, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, like I meet so many guys your age and younger and older who said to me, listen, we made a few quid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was at a guy's wedding a few couple of years back and he said that he introduced me to his to his wife. As this, I was his first employer. He <laughs> was a newspaper seller in the local community. So, uh, yeah, and I remember being, attending, uh, going to the, the Arberley Court or uh, on one occasion, we were out some, for some celebration or whatever. We ended up on level four, you know, and at that stage, you know, I was probably, shouldn't have been in level four, but wherever. <laughs> yeah. There were a few of us. And uh, two guys came along and wanted to get their photograph taken with me. You know, the one we get into a photograph. Let's get it, come on, we get a photograph. And I said, holy God, I made it. <laughs> you have yeah and you were talking about your wife as well because liz you, you and liz are like a power couple because like the echo has become a family business for you like your, your daughters your managed director your son your wife how do you manage your, your relationship with your business and yeah. your family is, is it difficult to, to balance that out and uh, not really in the sense it, it, it well it's not, no it isn't really because we're all interested in it you know the, yeah. it, it, it it's it's a it's a topic no matter no matter where we and sometimes we go and say listen no no talk we don't not to talk about the paper yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's fair enough and then some of the 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 some of the outlaws you know they, they say oh you know Jesus don't no no we don't hear any talk about the paper you know because it it does become the topic of conversation 
meal times and stuff like that. It, it's there's no conflict there, no. And uh, uh, one of the great things that happened to the paper uh, through the years was Liz coming on board because she was working in town in a in the in an advertising agency, and her forte was in the whole production computer generated stuff which was evolving at that stage you know and uh, she was working in some of the top agencies ad agencies in, in the city and people I would say that she was brilliant on computers because if you, you sat her down in front of a computer and told her how it worked uh, within a half an hour she came back and said well it also does this this and this you know and when uh, in the late 90s our production manager left and we had a job there. So we said, well, okay, you can take the job and say, you have to go to town all the time. And she's been the, the whole driving force behind the whole design side of the paper and the whole production side of the paper. Because, uh, you know, as I said, you won't get many better than her in the country, uh, anywhere, you know, to, to, in terms of um, dealing with the the equipment and the, the the production and the values of production and all that type of thing, you know. So, yeah. But the, the, from a family point of view, the kids all worked there when they were kids and did yeah. different different things. And sometimes I, I feel oh, I would prefer they'd gone off and gone away and you know carved out their own career in some way. But they're they're happy to do what they're doing and, and they all come with their forte, you know. So would there be no legacy, you know? <laughs> I don't know where the next generation is going to get it. I don't know, but where the legacy is going to be and how we evolve is the next question. You know. Yeah. Now, when I look at the owner, when when someone says they're the owner of some place, maybe if it's a small like store they own, so they they probably will work are very hands on. You are the owner of the Echo, so are you very hands on, or do you just get, assign roles and just step yeah. away? Oh, well, I am hands on, and and I'm listed as the editor. Uh, just to be, just to be, I suppose, straight up or to be correct about it, the mm. actual ownership is now in 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 invested in in my children. They actually own the paper now. Yeah. So, but I'm still the editor, and I still have a lot of input to it. You know, people ask me how, how hard do I work. So, you know, I don't really work that hard at all. You know, I, when you enjoy something, it doesn't matter. You like we we could spend, I could spend all day talking about it, but I don't see it as work anyway. So if I end up doing other things, I don't see it as work. Mm. Um, I probably don't work as hard as other people in the in the paper. I know I don't. They 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 have to do what they have to. I have to just oversee and make sure everything is okay. And I, I enjoy that. I really enjoy it. You know, it's a, I have a contribution to make still, and I have a lot of knowledge there still. You know, people need to know there's a go-to who, who may has an answer, you know, that type of thing. So that's very important for, uh, for the area, for the, for the young journalist starting off, that they have that, that uh, person they can look to and say, well, you know, I, I have background information to everything that's happening, you know, so it's important. You were saying that um, uh, in the Echo, you've, you've started people's careers and they've gone into bigger things. Do you find it difficult to, to hire the right type of people for, for the paper? And 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 you and some people you want to keep, but they 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 end up leaving because you know they want to grow yeah. their career. Sure, as I say, we I said earlier that we saw ourselves as a nursery. Basically, we had the connection with the, the College of Commerce, and we got a lot of kids coming through from there, uh, including John Murray, who's now RT, one of the big big guys in RT. At that, that and in in the same year, we had. Uh, uh, Miriam Dunne, who became the deputy news editor in the Irish Times, we had Claire O'Grady, who became the first ever female editor of the independent newspaper. So there was a lot of, and they were all from that same year. It was a great year that came out of college at that time. But they were here, I suppose. Yeah, John moved on from us down to the Cork Examiner. 
And like that, we were the nursery. If they, their eye was on the bigger bigger picture, if they were good, you know, if they wanted to, they had that drive, they wanted to move on. So we got to a point in time where we had to decide we got to up the ante here and make sure we paid people properly. So, yeah. you know, uh, uh, cheap labor is one thing, but you got to keep on because they, they are a valuable asset to the to the paper. They have developed their knowledge of the area and context and all that type of stuff. So uh, we did change our tack in the in the 90s to make sure that we had a proper pay, pay structure. Uh, those who were working there, we wanted to hang on to them as long as we could and so on. It's a, it is difficult, though, to attract uh, sort of what I suppose you might call them big hitters or whatever. Because, you know, you, you, you just don't have the salary to give these guys. You don't have that type of money to give these guys. Yesterday, we had a, a Zoom meeting with staff today. And yesterday, my daughter, who looks after all the HR and looks after all the staff and all that type of thing, she sent out a, a Slack message to everybody that Mary, Mary Dennehy is with us for 12 years. Now, she's not the young, she's not the oldest in the in, in staff at the moment. We've got Stephen Leonard and Will, Will, Will O'Connor, who are there longer than that 20 plus years now at this stage so they have stayed on and uh, kept with us and uh, most of the other staff now some of them are new to us and, and so on but they they are give, getting into giving us four or five six to ten years type of, of uh, service so um we're doing something right with them you know yeah now how has lockdown affected the business the running of the business like uh, getting the paper out on a weekly basis yeah it has a number of different the first thing that happened obviously that was that advertising you know yeah. over the cliff and, that, and that's the way it was for for any other business we're looking for advertising but we we, we lost all of that the government in, intervention the government subs, stuff subsidies and stuff like that were the godsend really we didn't actually we, we actually only have one person off at the moment all of the rest of the staff stayed on full time well a couple of toing and froings between them the majority of them we kept them all full t- on full time uh, the other consequence of the lockdown was that a lot of our content would have been social events, et cetera, et cetera. And they were gone. Mm. So we didn't have your picture page of Johnny's 50th and the Bellegarde or whatever. You didn't have that type of thing going on. So that was a, a loss to us. And we had to, we were scratching around. Where do we get the news? Where do we, where, where, you know, that type of thing was happening a little bit, not, not in a big way, but you had to find out, find alternatives, but it, it did have that effect. And, uh, and it, the initial lockdown as well had a big effect. It would have affected you if you're still only a kid. We stopped doing our door-to-door sales, you know, so that was a big that was a big thing for us in the, in the area. Now, we brought it back when the levels came back down and we didn't mm. go back to, we didn't take it away in the last the last level five as well because uh, they, they were all able to do it and we, we, we supplied them all with their PPE and we do all that type of thing to make sure that they're okay. Uh, but it did have an effect and, uh, but this, the government subsidies uh, shored up a lot of things for us Generally speaking, we're down probably around 40% of our sales yeah, a year on year. So it has a huge effect. Uh, I suppose the, the, the unknown is what, what the outcome will be uh, for us in terms of where it goes back to. Do we go back to, to having those levels? Because we obviously have to think of the future in terms of how the paper is structured. Mm. Uh, we have a huge online presence, a huge online audience as well. So we have to be able to move uh, to that online platform in a meaningful way so that we get paid for it. You know, we, we've, we did an interesting art, uh, exercise about a year ago now. Uh, we got my granddaughter in to do some market research, <laughs> keeping it in the family. Looking at all our social media side, our digital side, how do we approach this? Who has the answer to all of this? What is the, what is the well factor, the key ingredient? How do we do this? So we, we 
we always, when I'm on holidays, I'm on a busman's holiday looking at other papers. What do they do? Is anything that they do that catches your eye? If we, if there is, well, we do it as well. It's a copy. It's the best, highest mm. form of flattery or whatever. But anyway, um, we we decided to survey all of the fifty local newspapers around the country to see what they were doing, and I, the unintended result of that was that we were the highest engaged newspaper in the country on a social media on the social media platforms we had a bigger audience on social media than anyone else so i said wow that that, that it was an unintended result of that research so we we're doing something right but we do have to convert that audience to some in some way to paying for what they get we can't continue to employ journalists to provide news that people get for free we we can't continue to do that it has to be paid for in some way but it, it, it continues to evolve when we evolve that we're evolving in the correct way continue to survive whether it be digital i don't think the print medium will ever disappear i don't think it'll ever disappear. there will always be a need for print medium and i still love the notion myself every day get a coffee go get a paper go and have a read it's a bit of special time and it's easy forget everything else there is a obviously younger audience that don't buy newspapers but then you could argue young people never bought newspapers you know it doesn't matter when they were born they never bought a newspaper but they evolve into buying them there's no question that people are being uh, they're being fed through social media so they're getting what they they're getting news they're not necessarily getting correct news obviously but they're getting information um what we need to do is make sure we're in the space providing the correct information that people want because no matter how you package what you have news will always be news and people will always be interested in it it's just a question of how you present it to them and how you get paid for it you know yeah now before lockdown i I want to give people a sense of because i actually have a very small like um experience of working in a magazine i used to work for an arts magazine not an advertising i was i was selling so i was doing subscription uh, packages i got to see their print their print facility up in belfast there and i got to see like the inner workings of that so what lay people like myself we just see a newspaper we get it we don't think about how it's produced just uh, tell the listeners how the process of of how a newspaper gets to print like you know from editorial to publishing okay uh as you can imagine the difference between 1918 and today is just so far apart it's incredible yeah the 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 development in in all digital side and is is amazing really and i i was in the news i was in the business myself so we understand it somewhat but uh you know it, it is the evolution of of uh, not just digital but it's the whole uh, science behind it it's as limited as your own imagination basically that's that's the way it's going to evolve you know in terms of the future mm. but um in terms of content how it go, how it's put together it, it, it's easy at the moment when in the olden days it was cut and paste you had typewriters you had all sorts of typesetting machines and stuff like that you had to cut and paste and then they had to go down to the printer they had to photograph it believe it or not uh, in the early days as well we didn't have color so even producing color pages was the advertiser to pay for the for the page it was costing about 500 quid to produce the the bromides to produce the the, the negatives now so that you could actually print it so you had to go out and get this thing done at a cost a huge cost what year did color come into printing for, for yourselves Ooh, i'd say it was in the probably in the early 90s you know oh, wow. i remember our, our front page at the time was Taller rugby club were, were part of it they, mm. there was a, a picture from Taller rugby club and uh, thomas davis uh, i think jay club they had a they did i think they they'd won at that stage lancer title i think it was at the time but it was uh the early 80s and then it evolved we we moved printer with the, and initially your carol nashes was our printer and we used to finish production on a tuesday night and we'd have to be on the train in 
the station at first thing on Wednesday morning for them to get what we call the flats. So they had to take those and photograph them, create the plates, put them on the machines, print off the paper. They would have to have them on Wednesday morning. And we wouldn't get the paper back till Friday. You know, we pushed the button now. Uh, we changed our, our print deadline has changed to around two, between two and three on a Wednesday. Now it used to be late on a Wednesday, but it's now two to three on a Wednesday. And uh, we're finished at half past two. It's on its way back to Dublin by six o'clock that evening. You know, that it's that quick. Yeah. But it, the, the process is quite simple now in a sense that the, the journalists are working on their own computers and they file copy, they file stories. We have a news editor then in between that who would soak the copy and place the copy and you know, we'd have an idea of what stories the journalists would tell us the stories are working on. So we know what stories are coming. Um, and then there's the breaking stuff that happens all the time. So they're typing in the stories. We're aligning up that with the say a photographer. We need to photograph this, photograph that. He's out and about, gets the pictures, sends them in. They're all on the system. So you're then putting that all together into a visual on a screen. You move around and whatever it is to be done. And then we finally sub that and that's that done. That's the page finished. Yeah. Um, it's quite a simple process as to the way it was was many years ago. Uh, we've a lot less staff than we have now to do the same work than we did 20 years ago. You know, there's a lot less staff doing that than, than even from uh, advertising point of view. You know, you don't have that many ads to make up anymore. You, you'd know that yourself from the previous magazine yeah. that you work with like yeah, a lot yeah. of time and I mean you know, it came in at the back of a cigarette packet or whatever yeah that doesn't happen really you know anymore everything comes in camera ready you just couldn't paste and put it in where it needs to go so you know there's a lot less people involved uh, technology has driven that you know yeah now I've got a few a few more things I want to ask you I want to ask you like um about so what does David do to unwind or relax or enjoy his time outside of the echo uh, it's a it's a four letter word. It's called golf. You know, <laughs> I, I, I was I was leading towards that. So, okay. uh, what's your handicap? What's your handicap? Yeah. Uh, thirteen at the moment. So, That's not yeah. bad. Under the new system, it's thirteen. So yeah, uh, yeah. I've uh, I I've always been an outdoor person. Anyway, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I, as I said, I'm a life member of Thomas Davis. I played football. I played table tennis up, up until I was sixty. Um, and an unfortunate thing, I extolled the, vir the, the virtues of table tennis. You know, that was a great sport. You exercise every inch of your body and you got great aerobic exercise and sweated a whole lot because we played at leagues and all that type of thing. Yeah. And it was quite intense and you never injured yourself. And lo and behold, one night playing out in the north side, I actually almost fully tore my Achilles tendon. So that sort of put an end to my table tennis career. But I was 60 at the time. And, but I had started playing golf uh, about 10 years prior to that. Yeah, golf is, I, I love, love playing golf. It's an outdoor activity. It's four or five hours out playing golf in the fields, you know, and yeah. trying to get a few quid, a few quid off the guys you're playing with, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, golf is great. Well, when, when you're playing well, it's great. When you're not playing well, you want to <laughs> throw the, the bag in, in, the, in the river and, and just go to the 19th hole if there is, if there is such thing sure. these days, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's only back. It's only coming back this week, actually. This weekend, I'm on the sheet for Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, yeah, there is a there is a, a lot to be said for having that outlet because currently be, people are and it, it is a you know we there is a huge element of mental problems with people 
during the COVID because you do need to get out. You do need to get a, have an outlet. You do need to have mm. something else to occupy your mind or take your mind away from things. And uh, say in in the golf club was was uh, and I got very much involved in the club as well. I was captain up there. I was president up there. I like I'm that type of guy. You know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I I'm saying sometimes I say I have to be able to say no. I have to be able to say no when people ask me to do something. You know. It's Slade Valley, isn't it? Yeah. Slade Valley. Slade Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played yeah. that once. Um, yeah. It was it's a tough course. It is really is. It's quite it's quite a yeah. kind of hilly course, yeah. but um, it, yeah. it, it tests all kind of a, a, a aspects of your game, you know. But when you don't sure. have much of a game like me, it it's a waste <laughs> of a walk, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's it is a it's a lovely golf course. Uh, yeah, we we've gone through our troubles over the last ten years now at this stage, and mm. we're still in going through trouble you know there's a problem with all golf courses no matter who they are. But um, it, it's unique in the every hole practically is different than Slade. It's not quite, a, it's not an up and down golf course. Yeah. Every hole is unique. It has its own little feature to it and own little difference to it. So That's good. I enjoy it up there. It's very pleasant up there, I have to say. Great. great. It was a great bunch of, bunch of lads up there. Now, as we are in December and it's coming towards Christmas, I know like, you won't really get to see the full family until December 18th because that's when government like restrictions will uh, will allow you to. So what, what is the plan or what do you do normally at Christmas? Do all the family come together and you have a big knees up and, and just have a bit of... Yeah, you know, uh, it's very time? much... Uh, yeah, there's very much... We, we do... Uh, we continue to, to produce. This year, the way, it, the way it falls, we actually have only three editions in December because yeah. uh, I think Christmas Day is on Friday, so there's no point to come here that week. Uh, you know, people are not interested. It's just Christmas. Yeah, uh, we, our family always we always get together. You know, there's always they eat at Christmas. Well, it goes on for about two weeks. <laughs> it does, yeah. In terms of the social side, you yeah, know, yeah. being with different family, different elements of the family. Like all oh, my brother, my my sisters uh, live around. Uh, my wife's family, most of them live around. So there's all that interaction going on. You know, no, it's all the, the, the all the cousins now and all the, the the next generation. They all get together as well. So it's it's a good crack. You know? Yeah. For Christmas for the kids, so if, if you've any grandchildren, that's that's when you really spoil them. And 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 like even like sure. I walk around the old barn now, and I oh, some people have gone the extra mile. There's there's lights sure. everywhere. There's, there's yeah, light. yeah. I remember walking yeah. by a house the other day, okay, and I felt like it was the opening of the plaza. There was like lights, yeah. you know, like Christmas lights flashing on the side of the of the the wall the, of the house. And I thought, was it sure. unveiling of Christmas or something? It's just it's great <laughs> to see it because this year has been uh, a challenging yeah. year for everyone, you know. So to have that kind sure. of light at the end of the tunnel it, it's good for everyone yeah it is and it's great to see like all the, the trees are now getting treated now all around the area for little lights going on and it's, it's really lovely to see because when city west opened up there the, the, the campus there uh, they they were great initially and they still do they have the whole road is decked with the trees with the lights around them. it looks really magical so people yeah. are beginning to do it all over the estates now it's great you know it is great and it is i think the lockdown has given people a little bit of sense of back to community. There's no question about that. People have, have a time to, to, to talk and to think and to look at, and, and people are taking their time about certain things. So you, it, it has changed people. Yeah. Um, you do need that little outlet. You do need to be able to get out in the boat and, and uh, express yourself in different ways. But it certainly has helped. Uh, you can see it in certain aspects and elements of community that there's a more of a giving. You know, people are more engaging with each other and it, that's great, great to see, you know, because you yeah. get caught up in the whole commercial side of it and, and uh, just get into your bubble and not do anything and not get out and about. But uh, it's, it's, it's not forcing people, but you, you can't avoid it. You know, you can't avoid not engaging with your community because you go for a walk, they're out there, you know, so yeah. it, it's good. It's good. Yeah. 
No, it is. I've, I, we're going to have one more question, okay? So as a man who's who's always had a plan, you're part of, part of a, a big newspaper in Tyler and the surrounding areas. Do you make any plans or do you make any kind of resolutions for the new, for on a year on year? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, always. We, you have to, I mean, yeah. we have to every, we have to evolve all the time. We don't evolve and the paper doesn't evolve and we are going to, we actually, we're, we're interviewing at the moment for, for journalists, you know, because uh, we do need what's happened to us in uh, a little going back a little bit is that what's because of our social media, and the whole element of the social media engagement there. Some of the staff have moved into that area. So as a consequence, then it's a bit, the pressure is on in terms of the newsroom getting the stories because they're out there doing other things, making sure whatever is happening online. So we have to go out and get fine new journalists to, to support the team that, that we have and to bolster the, the, the product as it were. But we're, we're looking now the next stage, what we're going to do now in terms of evolving, changing, all that type of thing. Like, we always do it. We have to do it. You know, we have to sort of a few years ago away on holidays and we just got all the local papers. To do. What does it look? What's it look like? Can we, can we make, do we need to move it, change it? You know, we get a bit stale doing what you're doing. So you, you got to make changes. Uh, resolutions. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not good at the resolution. So I'd have to say, no, I can't remember when I made the last made a resolution to do whatever I had to do. But uh, I suppose in my back of my mind every year it's get better at golf, but whatever. Always work out. Jeez, look, that's yeah. that's 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 a pipe dream for me. Yeah, for you, I look, you caught like thirteen handicap. Uh, is pretty decent, you know. Yeah, I, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I I intend to be a singles. You know that that's, <laughs> that's the thing, the magic. I got to get into a single figure for me anyway. Yeah. I, it's 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 a, it's a great game, but it's complicated, yeah. you know. And yeah. um, and I think people make it complicated. I think if you're if you ever play playing golf, if I'm playing golf with guys who are starting off I always the one thing I whatever bit of knowledge that I would have is the one thing I say to people the only person that's interested in your game is yourself yeah. you know because we all go out there and say oh you're, you're you're almost afraid to make a mistake but nobody else is interested <laughs> they're only interested yeah. in their own game yeah, yeah. so it, 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 you can get that into your head no matter what you do and like I, I've played golf for and they, you hit the ball it goes into the field out of balance on the left hand side and you say and I remember playing one guy. So I never did that before in my life. And I said, "You're a liar." You know, we all do it. We all do it a few times, you know. So, but and that, that's what golf is about, you know. It's this precision yeah. sport. You know, no, it is perfect. You're never going to have it right, you know. No, yeah. no. Anyway, David, it's been it's been awesome. It's been great to talk to you. Um, uh, as such a a big man in the community, all the best uh, in the future. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate you're welcome, it. Shane. Because, uh, you're welcome, and uh, thanks very much for. I never knew you. I never met you beforehand, and maybe I'll meet you in okay. person someday. Uh, and sure uh, hope you have on a golf course. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take your money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. And hopefully, hopefully, you have a, a, a lovely Christmas and happy New Year. And thanks. And you too. Thanks. Thanks very much, Shane. Thanks. Thank you. And that was David Kennedy. What a gentleman indeed. He is the owner of the Echo newspaper in Tala. And a very interesting story. He told lots about his start, starting off in the Echo, how Tala has changed over the years and many different things he's talked about. And I hope you enjoyed this episode, guys. This is episode 31. My name is Shane. This is Heartlines. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, comment. And also remember, you're always welcome here in Heartlines. Take it easy. Bye-bye.